1: As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turned to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health conscious go getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com lityoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have the brilliant Krista Fairbrother on with me. Krista is kind of a pioneer in the yoga world because she is doing yoga in the water. So we talk about how she discovered aqua yoga from her own experience and dealings with chronic pain from multiple autoimmune conditions. Her land practice of over 20-some years tended to aggravate and make her pain worse and increase her fatigue. So she went to the water, and she talks about how you can apply the yoga practice in the water so that you're not overtiring or hurting your joints. And she helps so many people around the world. She also helps people specifically with different types of arthritis, not just, you know, older people or people who just would go and play in the water, but anyone who's interested in experiencing the magic of practicing yoga in the water. So listen to our awesome conversation today. Welcome, Krista. So happy to have you on today and to talk about something that's different. I don't think I've ever spoken about yoga in the water. So welcome. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So take us through how you got interested in yoga um, and, and then just your background in general. Sure. Thank you. So my name is Krista Fairbrother.
2: I currently live in Gulfport, Florida and teach yoga in the water. And it's been a bit of a journey to get here. I started out my professional career. Basically, my first real job was as a farrier so for your listeners who don't know what that is, that is a horseshoe. Somebody still has to put those horseshoes on horses' feet. Machines cannot do that, and it's not very good for your back. And I was aware of that, right? So I heard from somebody that hey, you know, yoga is really good for your back. So I thought, okay, well, just as like maintenance for myself and this demanding job I have, I'll try yoga. And I went, and it was, you know, it was okay. It was, it, and then as longer I did it, it was like, oh no, this this really helps. So I started doing a personal practice every morning before I went to work. And I was a farrier in Washington state. So it got to be really hard on me in the cold. Many people, you know, we make career choices. I moved on, went back to school, went to graduate school moved across the country here to Florida, had a couple kids, you know, had a life and I keep doing yoga. That was the interesting thing. So when my kids finally both started elementary school, this is now 20 years later and I'm still doing yoga. I was like, okay, I think I'll do yoga teacher training. And at the time it was really like many yoga teachers will say this. It was really for me, you know, just to deepen my own practice and really take my yoga a little more seriously. However, when I went into it, I did have a diagnosis of systemic lupus erythematosus, which is an autoimmune disease. And I was living with that and was a little stressed about, can I make it through yoga teacher training, managing this disease? When I was in yoga teacher training, I changed doctors, got a different diagnosis. I had a lot more going on than just lupus. It was like, wow, I have done all these things with my life, despite having these multiple arthritic conditions. And I really think this yoga as a self-management tool has really what has allowed me to be so successful at these things. So I immediately sought out yoga for arthritis teacher training, went there. It was there I met a fellow yoga teacher from Florida who had a weekly wine, women, and pool night for yoga. I was like, why has nobody ever told me about this? It sounds like the best <laughs> thing ever. So immediately after that yoga for arthritis training, I literally like went home, Googled it, because there was no cell phone reception where I was, and immediately signed up for water yoga teacher training and uh, learned how to do that, went to teaching it, and it really became my passion within the yoga world. And that's really what I have moved forward with is water yoga for everybody. And
1: again, especially for people who live with arthritis. So um, just go a little bit more into detail about the symptoms of lupus and what were the other discoveries that were made when when you realized it wasn't just this one autoimmune disease? Yeah.
2: So lupus as an autoimmune disease means, you know, it's attacking yourself. And what distinguishes lupus from some of the others is lupus can attack anything. Most autoimmune diseases will target one particular part of your body, like a lot of people have heard of thyroid disease, like Hashimoto's. And so it's just one part of your body being targeted, whereas why it's called systemic lupus is it'll attack anything. And the symptoms really vary person to person, which makes it very hard to diagnose. The diagnosis I received when I changed doctors and got a little more in depth to it was actually mixed connective tissue disease which is a it's kind of a party it it uh, is made up of four types of arthritis that often usually pair up in people so i manifest as more lupus and rheumatoid arthritis some people manifest as scleroderma and myositis and some people manifest as all four and so it it means that you're dealing with more than just one, right? It's hard enough to deal with one, but it's kind of this roller of ride of, well, which one is going to give me trouble today? It feels always like a party. And I'm very open with my diagnosis because especially in the yoga world, there's a lot of perceptions about what, what yoga people should look like and how they should live yo- their lives. And I am, you know, white, cisgendered, relatively thin. I'm getting a little older, <laughs> comfortably middle-aged now but uh, I don't necessarily look like what people associate with as people having these diseases. And really the reality is, is anybody can get these diseases and you can still do yoga despite having some really scary diagnosis. So I hope by being open with what I'm dealing with that it really lets other people expand what their possibilities are on either side of where
1: they fit. I think that's wonderful. I think that's really important. And I think the yoga world is opening up to, being more inclusive in the ways people should look, people with their different diagnosis or, you know, symptoms, even if they haven't gotten a diagnosis. And, you know, most people are more familiar with osteoarthritis, which is more of a degenerative disease Mm -hmm. that can, that can happen um, over a period of time. And, you know, even with osteoarthritis, yoga can be helpful, but some um, less, I guess, for lack of a better word, less intelligent forms of yoga could, can actually uh, probably exacerbate it. Did you find the yoga that you were practicing on land, even though it was helping you in some ways, was exacerbating some of your other symptoms? Absolutely. Yeah. So I
2: actually started my yoga journey where I kind of started talking with you today with Iyengar Yoga. And Iyengar Yoga, I love Iyengar Yoga. I'm not going to knock it if, you know, people are going to hear what I'm going to say and maybe flinch a little bit, but it is a very demanding style of yoga. And it really is a lot about pushing to your limits. And I was finding, I was pushing past mine. So having practiced Iyengar yoga for a long time, and I have with multiple instructors, cause I continued in Iyengar yoga is it made me, um, a very good I th- and I think maybe the nature of me being a farrier and a craftsman previously is I would say as almost like a yoga craftsman, I'm really good with props. I can help people safely get in and out of, you know, virtually anything that isn't necessarily what yoga is about. <laughs> and really, as I have gone on my journey with my health, I've really come to rely more and more on some of the other limbs of yoga. So yoga is not just these shapes we make. And really, for those of us who live with chronic disease, those other limbs of yoga are where uh, really a lot of the power lies. Yes. Exercise is great. And those aspects of yoga can be great, but it's, it's not just what it's all about. And you really will get much more from the practice. If you ap- approach it from more of a holistic place than
1: just uh, Hey, I'm going to work on this one shape today. Amen. I mean, my, this podcast is called redefining yoga and it is Again, not to be haughty and say yoga needs redefining, but it is, it's a calling and invitation to redefine our perceptions of what yoga is. And again, because yoga cannot be very welcoming to some people if if the perception is that you have to be able to, you know, get your hands on the floor or, you know, uh, take a shape and bring your arms underneath your leg and and do all these kind of bendy things that um, really like you were saying with Iyengar, it's, it's unfortunately those type of lineages don't have a lot of wiggle room. It's pretty black and white, and it's not like, you know, adjust to your body, stay within your, um, joints, best range and let the muscles hold you. It's really just like acquire the shape and, you know, by all means. And I think that we're all realizing that, um, and yoga, I think, has. I'm curious your your kind of um, take on this as well. I feel like yoga is almost um, a religion that people don't question or ha- haven't historically questioned. It's like Iyengar did it this way, Patabi Joyce did it this way, blah blah blah. And this is the way you do it, and it's the way it's practiced, and you do not uh, veer away. And I think anything in life that is that's a problematic formula because we need to be able to evolve based on our needs, whether it's, you know, you have an autoimmune disease, whether you have a modern day lifestyle, like how even, even the lifestyle you were as a farrier, but many people are, are bent over like that in their, in their um, cubicle at work. And so it's, it can't really fit into our modern day lifestyle. It does need to be redefined. I'm curious how you kind of came to your own um, discovery about that, you know, this, as much as I loved this lineage, it's, it is a little rigid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I joke with my students that, uh, we, as yoga people, we need to be more flexible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. A little
2: dogmatic, right. We, a paragraha, that non-grasping, we need to grasp a little less because we do get very, very graspy. And I, I find that when I talk to yoga people about water yoga, you know, there'll be that like, Poo, you know, it can't possibly be yoga because it's in the water, right? It has to be on that plastic mat. It's like, wait a second, that thing's only been around for about 40 years, right? So wait a second, do we even need the mat? And, and then those people who are, yes, like you say, very holding very tightly to your lineage. Well, uh, Mr. Iyengar, he believed in putting yoga in the water for certain people and actually was a fan of it. But um, yes, I found and and there are other schools of yoga like you're speaking to. I have less experience with them with, than with the Iron Guard tradition. But when I was really invited to become an Iron Guard teacher, I found that it was just, I just couldn't see myself going there because I was already, it's like, hey, you must make that shape. And I'm getting some really bad crunches, <laughs> yeah. you know, that are like, that are telling me I need to let this go and then yet the people who i'm working with are saying no you just need to work past that and it's like you know i'm i'm not there anymore and and as i've come to you know work this chronic Ill- walk this chronic illness path excuse me it really has become that place of how can i have compassion for myself Mm-hmm. Because we as yoga teachers, I think we're very compassionate for others, especially if you get into this place if you're really trying to help a lot people with a lot of health problems, which I tend to in my work. And you know it's really easy to have those compassion for others and then it's like, wait a second, what happened to compassion for myself? So it's very inauthentic. If I go to class and and work on ahimsa and help my students learn to practice in a way that's non-harming, and then I go home and do a two hour practice and push myself really, really hard. That's that disconnect. Is not about my students that's about me and i have to own that for
1: myself and that's really when i let it go Mm -hmm. and that's that that truth you know it's like all the other elements you talked about the satya the truth is that Mm -hmm. it isn't working for you in the way and this also i think you know attachment uh, this non-attachment people have many different interpretations of it but one is also not being attached to that there is one way it is this dogmatic Mm -hmm. way that we have to be open-minded and and make it work so that everybody has an experience of improving not only the way they move and feel, but the you know that that how their spirit is is buoyant and not um heavy. You know, there's so many people who are suffering from chronic pain. and just the diagnosis itself is like a is like a big cross. they're 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 carrying around. And I, I'm sure I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit, how it's important to have a diagnosis. I'm sure it gives you a, a sense of freedom in a way, an understanding of what has been going on that might have been mysterious. Um, but that at the same time, your your diagnosis should not be the label that defines you or confines you.
2: Yes. Yeah, that is an excellent point. So when you are someone living with a chronic illness and I, we might as well own the fact it's mostly women and there is that element. If you're going to go to the library and uh, there's been a lot of great books written on this lately in terms of women's experience with the healthcare system, when you have a chronic illness. So we're, we're kind of dismissed like myself in my journey. It's like, Hey, I'm shoeing horses. I'm bucking 150 pound pound, you know, um, the 150 pound bales of hey, I'm, you know, writing 20 hours a week. There is no way that this person who presents in their late 20s could possibly have all this stuff going on. So when my blood work is a little off, they're like, oh, you must have had a little germ. So, you know, it was always dismissed, dismissed, dismissed. And finally, when I had my second son, it's that's when my health crashed enough to where it's like, okay, you, can't, you nobody's hiding this, something's going on. And I only share that journey because. I actually had symptoms of this when I was a kid. <laughs> and so it's, I have been living with this since I was maybe eight to 12 years old and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 41. Mm. And so that is a long journey. Most people it's five to seven years. So if you've been carrying that like crazy making, what is all this stuff and getting dismissed around for a long time it is very validating to get a diagnosis. Like you said, it also gives you some clarity in terms of your research, Working effectively with your healthcare team, which is absolutely always should be front and center, right? As yoga teachers, we stay in our scope of practice, which you hear me talk today a lot about these chronic health conditions, but really I'm always taking it from the approach of what can I offer with yoga for these. So working with your healthcare providers and that idea of of lifestyle management, what are you going to do for yourself? So that idea of you can take your diagnosis and rather than having it define you, making it something that just gives you a little bit of structure for the information you're taking in and make some informed choices. Because as you heard me say in my story, it's not that I Iyengar yoga was bad. I loved it. I got so much out of it. It was just no longer serving me in my health journey of where I was at. So I can acknowledge that that's awesome. I can acknowledge that I have this diagnosis and that I'm not getting any younger and I'm in a different place now because all those things can be true, right? So I haven't yet talked about mental health stuff, but absolutely anything you can do for your mental health is really important when you have a chronic illness. So it becomes that idea of it's an and. You know, all these things can be true at the same time. It's not black and white either or. So thinking about how you can take these diagnoses and and in the yogic, very much yogic tradition, make it something that you deal with and all these
1: other things i love that and 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 to your point i think it's really important to acknowledge like you said that women are suffering um at a a much higher percentage i have a thyroid disease and and you know um i have a functional medicine doctor and it it like i i've had her i you know interviewed her on this so make sure everybody checks that out dr julie pantalik and and we're looking at problem solving approaches holistic approaches. You know, I'd gone to an endocrinologist, not to bash him, the male endocrinologist. And his, you know, his suggestion was that I blow up my thyroid and be on synthetic thyroid medicine the rest of my life. That might be okay for some people. That seems really severe for me because my symptoms were super mild. They were not troubling my life at all. And that seemed like a super dramatic, um, step to to take to to destroy a very important organ in our body, uh, just because my body was over responding to other things like stress, for instance. You know, so it's like you have to get the full picture. And and I love that you brought in mental health because um, mental health is so interwoven with our physical. And if we've had these kind of blockages, that we're not going to be able to do such and such because of some kind of diagnosis, it does affect your mental health. So can you speak to that? Did you ever have any struggles um, once you received the diagnosis and then the secondary diagnosis um, mentally, or were you always kind of like, okay, and I have this, but I'll still persevere. Right. Right.
2: Um, I, I think both are true. Um, if you look at the, like, if, um, I'll bring up the ACEs study here. I'll frame it in that way. So, the ACEs study was done uh, by Kaiser Permanente. I lived out in California, grew up with Kaiser as my healthcare insurance. They're a um, primary care facility. And since you see them exclusively, they have a lot of control over their patients, so to speak. But they did this really groundbreaking study over 20 years ago that has been replicated at this point hundreds of times, which basically says those of us who are normal, regular adults faced childhood traumas, which can be a variety of things. The original uh, study looked at a very limited number of things. Some other studies have expanded on it, and they have basically said the more trauma you were subjected to as a kid, the worse your health outcomes are as an adult, and that is especially true when you have autoimmune diseases, mental health disorders, substance abuse problems, all these kinds of things. So my score was not perfect. I have some mental health challenges that I've come to deal with as I have gotten older and thankfully a little more mature. I think I deal with them more effectively. I was seeing a mental health provider before COVID. I found it on the computer, just didn't do it for me. So I'm taking a little pause on that until I can get back to in person. But I think if you think of this from the yoga tradition, because I'm not a therapist and I, you know, don't want to talk about that too much because I feel like it's a little bit out of my scope of practice. But if you think about what yoga offers us from a mental health care perspective, even if you just take that simple yoga step of using the yamas and niyamas and think about how you're reacting and living your life, even that simple sort of gloss over, it can be like, whoa, I'm maybe making some choices that aren't really good here. And and yoga While it has some tools, it is, that is not entirely what it is for either. So I need to take some steps to make some other choices. And so I think when you apply like a yogic lens to where you are in your own mental health, it's that, okay, there's lots of diagnostic tools out there you can use to establish sort of a baseline of where you are from a mental health perspective. There's the yoga perspective of, okay, what is, what are the yamas and yamas telling me about how I'm living my life? And then, you know, what do I have access to, which becomes really important because having access to mental health care uh, practices is a big problem right now. I totally recognize that. So it's what what you actually can manage to do and combine those and then make the
1: choice for you and where you're at. Oh, beautiful. And I'm really glad you brought up the ACEs study because I think it's just revolutionary in giving some real, um, not only data, but kind of just a... It, it in a way, condenses and makes it very formulaic so that you can think like, oh, something that you might not have thought of as a trauma was actually indeed, it has been documented as such, like parents divorcing or a parent that kind of always exploded. You know, sometimes we just think we don't know, that's just what we grew up with. And we don't know that the impact that has on our nervous system and quite mm-hmm. possibly our our you know internal health system so yes as always go and and seek help as much as you're able to but also recognize that there's lots of other tools and and you're not alone in that nice. so thank you for bringing that up i'd love to talk now about your um your arthritic yoga or yoga for arthritis and aqua yoga because personally i've never seen it and i'm 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 a very open-minded person. I'm I agree there should be yoga is like to me it's any form of practice, movement, mental, dance, whatever is going to make you feel more full of joy and raise your spirit. And um I think we just do ourselves such a disservice by putting yoga in a box and this is yoga and this is not. So yeah. I um fully embrace this aquatic yoga. I'd love to hear more about it. How how does one transfer what what you do on the mat in the pool, or in, and I'm assuming you do yeah. it in a pool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. So, yes.
2: So, it's kind of like water yoga. What is this? <laughs> so, at <laughs> simplest, exactly, you just take your yoga practice and you move it to the water. I work mainly in pools because that is such a safe, controlled environment. But, however, you can use like a lake. The problems with lakes is they're often obviously not warm enough. And it's really about the bottom. You know, a lot of lakes, they're like sucking mud or rocks or, So that can kind of become an issue. I have worked with some lovely people who use the Indian Ocean. So I train yoga teachers around the world, and I have trained some professionals who literally, because they're out on the equator, they just go out to the beach and do yoga there. So I live, again, in Florida. I can in the summer, but most of us don't have access to that. So the pool is the most controlled, safest environment. So if you think about, okay, I just said you move your yoga practice to the pool. Well, how do you do like down dog and headstand and all those things? (laughs) So yes, it is mostly a standing practice. Uh, inversions, most adults don't like to do them. Kids love them, of course. You know, They'll do handstand, headstand, it's just splashy fun all day. Most of the people I work for really don't wanna do that. So we don't do inversions when I teach. And then we can also do seated postures, but you think about, well, what am I gonna sit on? Most pools are not large enough to give an entire class uh, Seats, you know, you as an individual could use the pool steps, but you know, if you think about public environment, we don't have that. So then we're doing something like sitting on kickboards or a pool noodle. And then it's not a like really calming, like I'm gonna chill out when I sit here practice. It's like, whoa, heck, this is a really balanced, heavy, muscular effort thing to sit here and do a seated yoga practice. So it it kind of turns on its head a little bit what you think of in terms of what's calming what's very vigorous. It allows a lot of people who aren't able to practice on land to get a yoga practice because I mentioned it's mainly a standing practice. Well, that eliminates the need to bear weight on your hands, which becomes a huge point. I've worked with a lot of really quite young people who, as soon as your thumbs go down dog plank
1: figure, or excuse me, being on all fours, it's just out when you and say so, thumbs go, do you mean arthritic wise yeah, or, or even rheumatoid? Arthritis, insulin,
2: yeah. yeah so your saddle yeah. joint, your thumb is very complicated and it is hard to repair in such a way that you can resume a lot of weight bearing, right? As well as something as simple as carpal tunnel. There's, I'm sure a lot of yoga teachers listening who have d- done a little too much yoga and gotten some sore wrists, right? There's a huge way we can, of course, hurt our wrists. So when we eliminate that need, and that need to bear weight on our hands. It's hugely empowering for a lot of people. And then you think about, okay, well, we don't have to get on and off the ground. So there are so many people who can no longer get on and off the ground on that yoga mat, but they're maybe not emotionally ready for chair yoga. I love chair yoga. I do not actually think, especially you heard me talk about Iyengar so much. If you're an Iyengar yogi, chair yoga is not necessarily a mellow calm thing, right? You can really, really push yourself with chair yoga. Most people don't see it that way. They think of chair yoga as being something very calm for very elderly seniors. And so they don't necessarily see themselves there at this time. So water yoga can be this great bridge for people who can't access those other types of yoga, as well as I didn't know about water yoga when I was pregnant, but I so wish I had. Because if you're pregnant Regular yoga, is, I mean, it's fine, but it's just not the same as yoga in the water. So if you're pregnant, you know, it just takes that weight off and you just get to move and feel a little more freedom like you did before you were pregnant. So it's really amazing for pregnant ladies as well.
1: Yeah. Can So can you speak a little bit about the impact on the joints? So I, I've i done yes. um, yoga. I mean, I've done physical therapy, um, hydrophysical therapy, and and it is really wonderful. But I'd love for you to speak specifically about the impact it has, the difference in water um, on the weight-bearing compressive forces on your joints.
2: Sure, yeah. So speaking about arthritis, just sort of a little kind of like review. Remember there's, for the listeners who don't know, there's more than a hundred kinds of arthritis. Arthritis is just basically a catch-all word for joint pain. And so we have talked, you know, we've we've talked about osteoarthritis, which you very rightly described as the, generally we think of as wear and tear. And so we tend to associate with seniors What is really happening is as younger people are becoming, you know, more professional athletes and stuff, we're starting to see osteoarthritis in younger and younger people. But what distinguishes osteoarthritis is it's usually just that joint that you perhaps wore out. So it can be one joint. It can be more joints, such as your entire spine. Rheumatoid arthritis, it it attacks your joint capsules. So instead of thinking of it as bones grinding like sandpaper, it's more like the sock around your foot is full of thorns. And so your joint is getting aggravated from the outside in. So we've talked about that. And then, you know, we talked about lupus and some of the other systemic kinds, but I'm going to address your joint question specifically from that osteo-rheumatoid perspective, because those are the two most common kinds of arthritis we're going to see. So when we get in the water, one of the best things of obviously is the buoyancy. So everybody knows, you know, you get in the water, it's like, wow, I'm just light. This is awesome. So what that does for our joints is it just creates a little more space. And when I say a little more space, I mean, it doesn't make the joint any bigger than it ever naturally was. It just restores that original space that you had. So if you've got osteoarthritis and you've started to get some bone spurs or something in there that's restricting the joint movement, now you've got a little more that, hey, I I can move that again a little bit. When you think about rheumatoid arthritis, and I said it's more that outside in, well, wait a second, what is the buoyancy going to do for that a little bit? We have some other features of the science of water that can really impact us is it does restore a little bit of that joint space. Because again, when the outside moves in and damages the joint on the inside, that of course happens with rheumatoid arthritis, but we have the hydrostatic pressure. So I like to describe that as you know, you walk in the water and you feel pressed in a little bit everywhere. So now it's a comfy sock. You just climbed in a comfy sock, and it's like that body sock because it's pressing down. Well, that reduces swelling. So if you have a swollen joint, that pressure is going to help reduce the swelling. It also makes your kidneys and your heart function more efficiently. So you're moving that blood around. It's going to help you um, reduce that swelling in that way. So if your blood kind of tends to pool in your feet. You know, you have arthritis. You're not exercising as much as should be. Your blood, you sit around. Your blood pools. You get in the pool. It's like, okay, well, return that blood up to where it's supposed to be. And then the third big perspective you can think about what it does for arthritic joints is when you get in the water. It's denser than air, right? You've got a lot of viscosity. So a good visualization I like to offer is it's something like you climbed in maple syrup. So if you were going to do yoga in maple syrup, think how hard it is to move your limbs back and forth, right? You're like, whoa back and forth. And it is back when I'm that back and forth is very important because it is just as hard to move your body in any direction and as any other. When we're on land, we're working against gravity, which means that moving against gravity is where I'm going to feel that muscular effort. If you did a bicep curl, like, you know, you tuck your right elbow in and you've got a weight in your fist and you bring that weight up towards your shoulder and do a bicep curl you know, that bicep, that muscle on top, that's where you're going to feel it. Yes, your tricep does a little something as you lower it down, but now you're working with gravity. So it's not as profound when we get in the water and all you simply do is move your hand. So you let go of the weight. You don't even need the weight. You bring your hand up to your shoulder in maple syrup. It's just as hard to bring that hand back down. And so you get a really balanced muscular effort, which is more supportive to a damaged joint than to have a very dominant muscle on one side of the joint. So those are the kind of the three aspects of water, buoyancy, hydrostatic pressure, and viscosity, that really help people who live with arthritis.
1: Wow, you described that so beautifully, Krista. I mean, really, it was like really perfect, just in balance science with the layman's terms. I think that that was like a selling it was like a selling three minute. I mean, everybody's. Gonna, I've, I've maybe
2: said that a time or two before, right? Yeah. yeah no, but yeah. I
1: think I think those are really important points to know. It's um there, there's such incredible benefit of getting in the water. Absolutely. Um, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about because on your um website, there's a page, there's a photo of somebody just lying over some noodles and lying there. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what this does for the parasympathetic nervous system. And I'll start by just mentioning for my birthday this year, because COVID, we're kind of limited in what we could do. Yeah. My husband gave me a surprise at a, um, flotation tank oh, and nice. I I yeah. went in there and I was like, okay, am I going to really like, is this going to do much? Is this, am I going to get too cold? You know, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I was, it was terrible. I was already kind of thinking like, I'm not going to love it. And I loved it. I mean, loved it so much. It was an hour and we were floating in salt water and what, um, it is purported to do, which it absolutely does is absolutely relaxes you. I mean, from every part, your, your body, your mind, I just came out of there and I was like a wet noodle of, of stress-free love. I just felt (laughs) so incredible. And I really thought to myself, if I had this access, I would do this daily or several times a week. So can you talk a little bit about that aspect of how water, especially when you have that balanced buoyancy, um, the salinity, I guess it was the the salt water allowed you just to float without effort. But if you have those little things underneath, I'm sure you're doing that. So yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, What a nice gift. Yeah. So there is, so the float tanks, yeah. For anybody who's not sure it's, you know, they're often kind of some sensory deprivation. You're on your own little personal tank. It is a ton of Epsom salts. And so- yeah, Tongue. I have to admit, I haven't. I would love to go, but I. My husband is a marine scientist, and it's just like the idea of all that salt in the water. So it's like
1: oh, I, oh, I know. When they told me how much was in there, I kind of like from an environmental like, standpoint, I was like, I oh my gosh, oh my so- god,
2: what am I doing? I know. Yeah. So I, I, I will fully admit, I haven't done it as much as I would really love to, because I'm not sure I could live with. It would be too stressful. I couldn't relax. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> there husband been do, good solid research on those float tanks because, again, we. Researchers want a controlled environment, right? They want to control for their variables, which you really can do when you can control the environment. So you know you can put in the right amount of salt, so that you just spoke to you're you're not using any gear to maintain that new place of neutral buoyancy. You're just beautifully floating. You can reduce your sensory input. So in yoga, well, that's the pratyahara practice, right? We've reduced our sensory input. There's been research that shows. That as you spoke to, it um, is very good for the parasympathetic nervous system. It almost acts like a weighted blanket that they have done research on um, kids who are on the spectrum for. So the theory as to why water calms your nervous system and anybody who's never been to a float tank can still speak to that, like, wow, I get in the bath and it's just like, oh, that's awesome. So that hydrostatic pressure, the theory is, it basically overloads your body's nervous system. So we don't have more solid science at this time. It, it may, you know, in the future, be proved to be something different. But think about it as like, you know, that's constant poke, 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 poke like everywhere. You're just going to tune it out. You can't take it anymore, right? So your body basically gets a little bit overwhelmed with this constant sensory input so that one thing isn't bothering you as much. So if you live in chronic pain in one area of your body and you're able to experience that sort of steady, steady eddy everywhere feeling, it helps dampen down your pain responses, your um, nocio septum activity. So basically it's that nervous system registering stuff is getting calmed down. And the difference between, and that's what we all say, like about float tanks. So the difference between what we do in the pool is you spoke to like, okay, I have this photo of, it's probably me. I always sign my photo release forms, So I put out lots of pictures of me, not about my ego is I have access to the pictures. I'm on a bunch of noodles to do the whole same thing so that I can support myself on the noodles. But however, I'm in the pool. Pools are not really as calm, quiet places as float tanks as yoga studios, right? We've got kids screaming and running around. (laughs) We've got swimming lessons. We've got the pool, the pool mushrooms, maybe features slides, whatever your pool has people coming and going, there's a breeze There's sun pools are busy places. So it's, I compare it slightly actually a little more to like a walking meditation Mm -hmm. because you also have that barrier or excuse me, bar of safety is you have to know where you are on your noodles and, and, Maintain your safe place so it's you can't reach that point of bliss that we talked about in the float tank. You know, you're not going to reach that parasympathetic, absolute blissful state when you're in a public pool for that reason. You still get the benefits of you know that water pressure, being able to close your eyes, bliss out, and it's still a pretty hard practice because you're potentially comfortably closing your eyes if you do the reclined option that we talked about. Well, your ears are underwater. So you can't hear as many of those things as I've told you are going on in the pool. So you do get that. A lot of people hear me say all that and they're like, well, wait a second. I would never put my head under the water because that's very common. It's amazingly brave of the people who come to an aquatic class who are not comfortable in the water. It always surprises me. It's like, you people are awesome. You're afraid of the water and you're coming to my class. You rock. It's very common as well as women do not want to mess with their hair. (laughs) So putting your head under the water is not necessarily a choice. So we can position those needles. So we do more of an upright meditation. We still get the pressure of the water, um, activating the parasympathetic calming, the sympathetic nervous system. You still can close your eyes in a vertical place. And a lot of people are actually able to relax more because they can feel like their toes dragging on the pool floor and have that confidence of, Hey, I, I kind of know where I am, if I'm going to need to stand up right away or anything bugs me that much, you know, I'm there. And that level of confidence can help people calm down. Cause as we talked about before, with all the trauma and stuff, you felt really self comfortable in the float tank. Not everybody has that reaction in the water. So the I, most oh, important I believe, thing yeah. is that you are having some sort of meditative, calm experience that you can deal with. <laughs> yeah. And you see people it.
1: even sometimes on at the pool, like just even with their elbows on the edge of the pool and kind of leaning back. Yeah. And it's it's just some kind of support, but I'm imagining yes. it's it's kind of like a shavasana feeling yeah. that you then would have in the water. So is. and then
2: and in a nice warm day, it is, you really can't beat it. It is really beautiful. Mm. And it's similar to in the back. So if somebody, a lot of people these days have those huge bathtubs, you know, with the jacuzzi jets. And it's like, you know, those pool noodles are not precious. They're only a dollar at the dollar store. Cut them down, cut them in half, make yourself your own little pool noodles and then you can have a warm float in your own bathtub.
1: <laughs> I, I, well, that was my next question. So what do you recommend for people who obviously live in cold weather and aren't living in Florida? So um or aren't near water um uh, do you have any recommendations for pools? right the Mm -hmm.
2: ymca is the largest provider of swim lessons in the country uh jcc just community centers also have a lot of pools a lot of municipalities have pools a lot of colleges have pools so if you don't have a pool then then it becomes okay where can i go for a public pool um and then obviously you can reach your social network for friends but again, that becomes down to the weather. If you're gonna, if I'm gonna say, oh, well, you go to your friend's condo complex. Again, it's a summer thing. So most of the country, yes, they're looking at indoor pools. And then um, tech is obviously an issue at the pool. You know, it's like if I were to say, oh, you could watch my video. It's like, well, not so much at the pool, right? What do you do? So that becomes a barrier for people in terms of you're trying to develop a personal practice. And and it's that idea of remembering. As yoga teachers, we hear this, oh, I got on my mat and I didn't know what to do, right? So it's best if you can write yourself some little notes that you can take to the pool. They actually have this um, fancy paper scientists use, it's called write in the rain paper. You can literally, it's super cheap. You just buy some waterproof paper, use a pencil, make some notes. You won't lose any tech at the pool and and hurt anything so that's like the cheapest easiest way to access it
1: now you do have an app is that right or a a a website where people could if they could either download it or maybe as it's not downloadable if there wasn't wi-fi Um, right
2: i do have lots of resources on my website yeah whether it's i i try to do a lot of audio and then laminated waterproofs i do have some videos but again those are something you kind of watch at home or on your phone and even if you're comfortable with your phone on the pool if it's a public pool there's people swimming laps your pools can get you know your phone's going to get splat it's like no i get that tech is really hard on the pool and that's why i really brought it back around to that well you can even write notes on your own piece of paper right it doesn't i
1: love that i yeah. don't
2: want people to feel like they have to buy something to try something right that's yes. never it serving people right so yes. Yes, I mean, I yeah we have resources for sale but don't make that the barrier please go to the pool and
1: try okay so in addition to offering classes for anyone in the general public you also offer teacher trainings to teach people how to teach this is that correct i do
2: i do here in florida in person and online and the most exciting thing is my book is being published i wrote a water yoga book and it's being published by singing dragon publishers it will be out in july worldwide so if you're hearing this and you're in australia and you're thinking wait it's summer now I know, I'm sorry, it comes off in your winter, but at least you get access to the book. It will be released internationally. And it, while it is um, a book that's oriented a little bit to teaching, because that's what the publisher asked me to write, it is a very comprehensive book that anybody could use to learn to practice. If they're like, hey, I, I love this and uh, just give me the book, that that will be available through all the regular book channels.
1: That's incredible. Congratulations, Krista. That is such an accomplishment and it's well-rounded really to have, you know, uh, in print form, all this knowledge that you clearly have it, I'm very impressed and I'm totally sold. I am not such a water person. I mean, I love it in terms of like, you know, splashing around, getting in there, yeah. but, um, I'm definitely going to try, I'm going to look at your videos and try some stuff out. So where can people learn more about you?
2: My website is my name, which is Krista, C-H-R-I-S-T-A, C-H-R-I-S-T-A fairbrother, F as Frank, A-I-R, brother, all one word, dot
1: com. And on Instagram, you have? Uh, I have
2: Instagram, yeah, aqua content yogi. So if you're like, I don't know, just hashtag aqua yogi, I'm there, water yoga. <laughs> if you Google it, water yoga, I'm there. So yeah, it's, it's my passion and I've been doing it for several years now. So I'm, you can find me anywhere. If you want to find me, you will find me nowhere. Yeah.
1: You're, you're going to be our aqua yoga, uh, not guru. Well, because yeah. I'm not a big guru person, but uh, you're the person to go to the expert. And clearly what I love is that you've found this passion and you're such a, a wonderful example of how like molding what you already were interested in, um, what kind of, hand was dealt to you and how you you've made it uh, this just magical profession and passion so yeah congratulations appreciate it
2: yeah it's uh one finds ways to work in what one's done with their lives right and and i feel blessed that i'm in this place where i can share what i'm so passionate about so it's yeah life life is good
1: well thank you so much for your time it was wonderful to talk to you thank you And everybody, make sure you check out Krista and go try some aqua yoga. Take your yoga to the water. Take it to the water. I love that. Yoga can be anywhere. (laughs) All right, everyone, as always, I'm pulling for you.